Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Ollie. And I think you 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 are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day is the biggest fool in Manchester, and that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Baller Boys podcast. I'm your host, Vis, and I have my two usual co-hosts, Kaiser. Hello. And Rahul. Hello. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? Huh? Especially after that 9-0 thrashing. Tell me, tell me how you feel. A bit better, I guess, compared to the previous result before that. Which Fair we are enough. ignoring and we are not going to talk about. Ah, uh, conveniently, yeah? Yeah, conveniently. Alright guys, before we get into the pod itself, uh, we're happy to announce that this episode is sponsored by Fantasy Exchange. So Fantasy Exchange is a new Premier League fantasy football game from Malaysia with a very interesting concept which combines trading cards with Fantasy Premier League, so where you can collect cards and build a team. So there are season-long leagues, which is the traditional FPL format, and weekly leagues where there is 1 in 30 winners per league, with unlimited entries where users can win up to 1,000 ringgit in cash prizes every week. So you can even play on your desktop, on your mobile, on www.thefantasyexchange.com. Sign up now using the code BOLLERBOYS to get a free pack worth 40 ringgit, guys. 4-0, baby. 4-0. Wow. So that being said, in this particular pod, we're going to be covering teams like Liverpool. Uh, we're going to be covering West Ham and as well as Brighton. And before we get into the meat of the podcast, let's address some of the hot topics that have been going around uh, in the world of football. Um Anthony to Man United, 22-year-old Brazilian winger, 100 million euros, which equates to 84 million pounds. What do you guys think? Huh? What, what, what have, are your... Okay, we, out of uh, 10. Uh, out of 10. Have we figured out what his second name is? Or is that his second name? And what's his first name? Uh, no, <laughs> Brazil- Santos is his actual yeah. last name, I think. But yeah, but Brazilians in general, they just go with one, just one name, what? Great content Alison So for those of you who don't know uh, Anthony used to play at I mean he still is technically an IX player The deal's not even officially done Romano Fabrizio has come up with the Here we go So um, for those of you who don't know He has uh, played under Eric Ten Hag um, uh, With IX And he's just you know, in the midst of finalizing the move to Manchester United, he's been uh, one of the primary targets since I think May for Eric Ten Hag to bring in a left-footed natural winger to Man United, and it looks like it's happening. Um, although it's going to be very expensive, but it is still happening. So I just want to ask you guys: Yeah, is a player like this? Um, if you look at his numbers, I think he's got what eight goals, four assists uh, across twenty-three games in the league alone la, last season. And United are paying him eighty-four million pounds. Not paying him, sorry, paying eighty-four million pounds for him. What do you, What do you guys think? I think um, transfer fees, especially when it gets to these kind of levels, right? Are always you can't just look at the player and what they're offering as an individual. Is what does the what What is the value they're going to bring to the team? So if Eric Ten Hag has had a look, and you know, for that left wing spot, he thinks. 
you know, Anthony's specific skills and the things he can bring, you know, is going to elevate United's attack or elevate United's team to the, you know, next level, then I guess it's, it's a pretty reasonable fee. But if you look at the player, you know, first of all, he's coming from the Dutch league, which, you know, is not... What what we use, you know, Dutch teams aren't necessarily winning the Champions League, even though Ajax have gone quite far in the competition in recent years. So that's the first thing. Second thing is he's on the peripheries of the Brazilian team. I don't think he's nailed the starting eleven spot yet, but he's you know he's twenty two years old. He's in and about, which is encouraging. But thirdly, it's it's the output, like you said, eight goals, four assists is nothing special, especially when. You know, Ajax are one of two or three teams who dominate the, the Dutch league. You know, you look at the output of other players in that league. Like even Cody Gakpo, I think his, his output is a bit better than, than Anthony anyways. So the question is, what is he going to bring to Man United? The second thing is the type of player he is. He's not, like we said, he's not an output machine. He is a bit of a throwback, I would say, in the Premier League. We don't see many players who are like Anthony. So anyone who's seen Anthony, even as little as me, you'd see that, you know, he's the type of person who wants to beat his man. He's tricky. You know, he loves the skills. Uh, is that something that has been sort of phased out of the Premier League because it's not suited to the league? Or is it just a coincidence that we're not seeing players like that in the Premier League? Because if you think about it, you know, we used to see loads of them. Early Cristiano Ronaldo, early Nani, even, you know, wingers like... Even people like Kieran Dye, things like that, they used to be more in touch with how Anthony is, but we don't see that anymore. So is there a reason that that's the case and it's not going to be suited to the Premier League? Or is it something that, you know, has just been phased out out of coincidence? For me, I think United, ever since uh, Mason Greenwood was out of the picture, United have lacked a natural left-footed winger. And um, he's definitely, Anthony, I mean, he's going to play off the right because uh, Eric Ten Hag likes to play inverted wingers. And I think he's going to add a lot of creativity to the side in terms of uh, chance creation. So players, if Ronaldo were to stay, I think he'd definitely benefit from someone like um, Anthony. As well as, if you look at the team now that, that started even the last game, right? It was Ilanga, Rashford and Sancho. You know, the same front three that started against Liverpool. So, I wouldn't want a player like Ilanga to be starting, like, big games. You know, I'd rather have a player like Anthony starting games like that. So, if anything, he's going to add competition to the squad. And, um, I don't know, we're still yet to see. It's a lot of money, but we're still yet to see. The only thing I'm hopeful is that I know Eric Ten Hag can get the best out of him. Because he's played with uh, Eric Ten Hag, right? So, we, we'll see. We'll see. What, what were his numbers under Ten Hag? So obviously last season it wasn't under Ten Hag. Oh it w- well, I guess he didn't finish the season. It, it right? was la. Yeah, he didn't finish the season. I don't know exactly what his numbers were under Ten Hag la. Yeah, I'm surprised he couldn't get him for cheaper. cheaper. To you be see, honest. that's Despite the thing. The relationship you the, with uh, you see the Ajax time that United actually got the deal done. United should have wrapped this deal up three four months ago with maybe sixty million euros. We're paying. I think mm. an additional 30 million euros, 40 million euros, in fact. You know, this is just late fila, if you ask me. This goes to show how United are so bad at planning and, you know, when it comes to transfers, things like that. So, but then again, the players here and we shall see what happens. We shall see. It's very similar so now, to the Darwin uh, transfer, actually. Sorry, Vis, I know you're going to move on there. It's very similar in the sense that they're both literally same age. Largely mm. unproven, but I think both the managers mm. or the teams really like them. So it'll be interesting to see how both of them get on. 
Definitely, definitely. So, um, talking about Darwin, uh, I think the first uh, team that we want to review in this podcast would be Liverpool. Uh, I don't think they've had such a great start uh, compared to the previous seasons. Um, out of the four games so far, they've uh, drawn two, lost one, and won a huge uh, game, uh, the last game. So, I think let's talk about the overall start, Kaiser. What, 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 are your, what is your take on it? Yeah, obviously before the Bournemouth game, it was looking really terrible. I mean, we can't take too much from that. I mean, yes, it was a high scoreline. We'll talk about that in more detail. And it's one of the, probably the worst teams in the league that we played against. Uh, but yeah, definitely concerning start regardless. Um, I think can be down to a few reasons uh, that we've seen. I think there's some key players who are normally reliable for us who are not performing. I think um, it's fair to highlight Fabinho. Uh, and Van Dijk, uh, who we know over the years we can always rely upon. Uh, Fabinho um, is very well known for his tackling and I think there's a lot of times in the first few games in, in key moments he did not show that and Van Dijk has been just less dominant generally and having um, poorer decision making in a sense. I don't know if you guys saw the Palace goal, uh, Zaha, I think that was a good example that showed both of that. And I, I don't think they're unrelated, both of the things you're talking about, Kaiser, with, you know, Fabinho, who's mostly our number six, who shields the back four and Van Dyke and the defense as a whole being poor. I think they're very related. And I think a lot of elite centre-backs who are, you know, known as the greats in the game, your John Terry's, your Ferdinand's, your Vidic's, all had very good midfielders in front of them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's definitely something which is related. I think it's very important you have a six or you have a, uh, you know, a double pivot in front of you that can cover you and doesn't make you defend in uncomfortable places. And at the moment, that's big, yeah. Liverpool's biggest issue, I think, is the midfield. Yeah. Uh, I think that was highlighted definitely in the uh, United game. Uh, where we saw Hendo, Milner and Elliot start the game and Fabinho being dropped uh, just because of his previous two performances. Klopp was asked and he said it was uh, tactical. Uh, Elliot, to be fair, has been having a great season, but uh, he doesn't contribute as much and he's still very, very young. Um, and so that was um, yeah, very discouraging in the, in the game. And I don't know if you guys in the game, like Salah and Diaz hardly contributed anything in that United game and I think Firmino played a big part in that as he dropped deep loads of times and basically just occupied a lot of midfield space. It was just a calamity, basically, of a performance. So I also think, right, that uh, it was down to the way that United set up this time because if you really look at that game, the way United set up is not so far off from how Oli used to set up his you know, counter-attacking teams, right? But the only difference was this time, instead of setting um, United in deep, what they sort of did was they defended high. We were quite high, you know, and we sort of congested that middle area and just made life difficult for Liverpool, essentially. And I think that definitely contributed to why Salah, Diaz, uh, even Firmino couldn't, you know, sort of get into the game properly. Yeah, I think, and again, when you, um, Kaiser, you go on to talk about the Bournemouth game, but they were so far from goal, Diaz and Salah. They were so wide. Um... But the thing is this, you, you know, you talk about United high, defending high and pressing high. That's exactly what a Liverpool who is on their day, right, would love to play against. 
that's no problem for them. And I think again, it goes back to the fact that Milner, Henderson, and Elliot, you know, for whatever reason, in those three individuals should not be the starting midfield in this Liverpool side. Like with what they want to play and what they want to achieve is is just it's not good enough. Um, which again brings back to the question about why are Liverpool starting a season and having to play these three? You know, people say, oh, it's unlucky that Keita is injured. It's unlucky Thiago is injured. These are injury-prone players with a history of being, you know, uh, not playing 40, 50 games a season. So why hasn't this been addressed? That is the biggest, I think, frustration with definitely myself, but I think the wider sort of Liverpool fan group as well. Yeah, even Klopp, I guess, admitted recently that, yeah, you guys might be right and we do probably might need a midfielder. And yeah, you can't be starting these games with Milner and Hendo uh, in the midfield anymore. Just Milner is growing too old for that, for sure. So let's look at the the Bournemouth game. What was different, you know, from the Bournemouth game? I know, fine, Liverpool haven't w- didn't win yet at the time. So even me and a few friends of ours, like United fans, we were like, oh no, you know, Liverpool, if if they don't beat Bournemouth, then something is wrong, like, actually wrong. But then as soon mm. as Liverpool scored the first goal, we were like, oh God, pity Bournemouth, like, they're just going to take everything out on this Bournemouth side. And little did <laughs> we know it was going to be 9-0, <laughs> joint biggest league win ever in Liverpool's 130 games. Like. 130 yeah. year history, sorry. Yeah, history. I also joined high as the EPL. It seems like people can't break the nine goal mark uh, in the Premier League for some reason. But yeah, I mean, there was always a chance that this is going to happen, that Liverpool is going to bounce back um, really strong. I'm just so relieved that it did. Uh, somehow Salah didn't score any goals or assists for my FPL team. Uh, but yeah, for me, no. What a massive difference this game versus United game but like we say it's tough to make a comparison but it's just great to see that we can actually steamroll a team we were all over them I think Bournemouth just couldn't keep up there was so much space Um, I'm not sure that was due to Bournemouth's reason or we just passed the ball so well throughout the whole game and created so much space for ourselves Uh, and it was yeah thank god it was a joy to watch compared to the other game and you know what's funny like Players like Van Dyke, players like Trent, uh, Firmino, all was you know being slated on social media by the own Liverpool fans saying that yo, you know, especially Firmino, you know, I saw this one uh, tweet. I think it's like it's so disgusting to you know watch him now pass his prime, and next thing you know he scores. And even <laughs> like people like Van Dyke and like Trent, these guys are defenders. If anything, you want to see a good performance from them, that's considered okay. But these guys, they score, so it's mad, lah. It's really, really mad, yeah. man. Yeah, the thing is though, I think it uh, is great. Of course, obviously the nine nil. I was telling you yesterday, this how nice it is to just watch and relax again for the first time this season and just be like, this is nice. But the thing is, I I don't know how much you can take from the game because I think Bournemouth were very poor. The best things I think to take away from the game was the difference in attitude. The I think the the most you know disturbing thing about the United game was not the fact that they lost it's not the fact that they conceded the goals but it was just there was no it's the the intangible stuff there was no sort of attitude there was no sort of you know you know even if your team is losing even if they're playing rubbish you want them to at least you know you know run a bit harder or show a bit of you know upset it was so pathetic it was such a you know, uninspired performance against United from all aspects. And I think that's what they managed to reverse in Bournemouth. From the whistle start, it was all in, you know, pressing hard, tackling hard, you know, 
yeah. you know, really hitting those passes hard into feet. So I think that that was the most encouraging thing. But the bigger test, I think, is definitely against Newcastle coming up. Yeah, I think that will be a definitely harder game uh, than Bournemouth. Uh, I mean, Newcastle are a different animal this season. Um, so then after Newcastle, I think you have Everton away and then Wolves at home uh, before playing Chelsea away. But I think for the immediate next three fixtures, uh, I'm sure you guys are expected to win the next three games. How do you see that going on? Huh? Yeah, before the United game, I said, like, yeah, it wouldn't matter that in Old Trafford, I think we'll be comfortable just how United play, were playing so badly before that. But now I feel like the Merseyside derby, I mean, could become tricky even though Everton are not the greatest outfit. So a bit wary of that game, but the others, Newcastle at home, Wolves at home. I mean, if we want to win the league, especially given our terrible start, um, yeah, we need to be winning those. Okay, I think that pretty much sums up our Liverpool segment. Let's look at another team who are not um, who are worse, I would say, um, especially after their performances last season. West Ham currently sit at 16th with three points only after playing four games. So they lost their initial three games and won the last game. Um, it's been a very, very slow start. Uh, Rahul, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's funny we picked Liverpool and West Ham for this episode because I think there are quite a few parallels between both the teams, obviously at different levels, but both of them coming off, uh, you know, pretty good campaigns last season, which ultimately, you know, finished in disappointment. So obviously Liverpool lose the Champions League final, West Ham lose the Europa League semi-final, which I think, you know, their whole season was pretty much geared up to. And I think they had a pretty, I mean, they had a pretty good chance of, of winning. I think if they played in the final as well, they they, you know, would have had just as good a chance as Frankfurt. So I think you see a bit of a hangover. You see a bit of a hangover this season from West Ham. Um, you know, after consecutive sixth and seventh placed finishes and then obviously the European campaign last season, I think you have to sort of reshuffle it. And I think that's what David Moyes is trying to do. So they brought in six to seven new signings, um, looking to refresh not only the back line, but also the midfield and attack. And I think that's what you're going to see for the first probably half of the season or maybe the whole you know the whole season is going to be a team sort of trying to reintegrate themselves, trying to find out what they're good at or what they want to be good at. And that's what they've shown in the first two games. So obviously, oh, sorry, first four games rather. But uh, we could talk about the Brighton game, which was the game before this weekend's in which they lost 2-0. And it was a really good example of comparing a team in Brighton who know what they're about who are well-drilled, who can execute the plan against any opposition in the Premier League versus West Ham, who are still sort of finding their feet. So it's a pretty routine win in the end for Brighton, as, uh, you know, if, if we have to be quite blunt about it. I think, as you said, Vis, when we were talking about before the podcast, West Ham never really looked like they were going to score. I think a big drop-off has been Antonio, who last season, anyone who's playing fantasy had them in his team because he was scoring week in, week out. Fell off towards the... I would say the last sort of two-thirds of the season, last season, and, you know, seems to be in in the same sort of rut. So I think they're having to find a different outlet. Bowen is there, but obviously he can't do it himself. So they've signed Skamaka from Italy, 30 million pounds, six foot five signing. But again, he's a different sort of player to Antonio. He's a different sort of player from Bowen. He looks like someone who wants to receive the ball. If you look at all of his 16 goals that he scored last season in Syria, they are mostly sort of poachers type goals or, you know, with crosses coming in and heading it in, which is not really the goals that West Ham scored. Yeah, that's interesting because 
That's similar to sort of Hale, which was a signing they had and they used as a striker before they started playing Antonio out front. So it's interesting they're going back to that type of striker potentially. Yeah, that's a, yeah. It's, it's funny. I didn't even think of it that way. And Hala didn't do. I mean, he didn't do great. Yeah, he didn't in do great. The Premier yeah. League as well. Exactly. So that's one thing. Um, at the back as well, they're trying to integrate Kara, uh, who they've signed from PSG. Who um, you know, unfortunately, was the one who gave away the penalty for Brighton's first goal. Um, so they played Villa yesterday, which, when I watched. Literally, it was. I had to kept keep reminding myself that I have to do this for the podcast because <laughs> it was hard watching. You know, it was really hard. When people say they hate football and it's boring, and this is the type of games you really don't want to show them. And you know, it was a struggle. If I'm being quite honest, uh, David Moyes tries to switch it up, so he goes to a five at the back. They sign Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea, who can play, uh, you know, as either a left back in a four or uh, left wing back in a five. So they start with a five at the back. Looked terrible. Whole first half, you know, I couldn't tell you if they even created a chance. I don't think there was even a shot on target. It was pretty bad. David Moyes, to be fair to him, he makes a quick change. So he gets Samerson off, brings Ben Rama on, changes it to their normal 4-3-3 with Skamaka up top alongside Bowen and Ben Rama. They look better. But when you look at the end of the game, it was a combined XG of less than one. You know, which is not great. Um, they were quite lucky. They managed to uh, score a deflected goal from a Fornal shot, which was outside the box. But otherwise, you know, they didn't really threaten. There wasn't that usual. When I think of West Ham, I think of an imposing team. You know, they are a big team. When we're saying, when I'm saying big, I literally mean they are tall guys. You know, set pieces. We talked about last season how they're so threatening from set pieces. That's not there this season. So, I think they are finding their groove, and I think. When your team in the Premier League finding your groove and you've got a tough start of fixtures, which West Ham definitely have, you look forward, they've got Spurs, Chelsea, Newcastle to come up now. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Yeah, and they just look so so disjointed, you know, that West Ham team. Like every performance you look, you watch, I mean, it's like very lethargic, very like, what the hell's going on? Type of performance, no energy whatsoever. Even that Villa game, the... I don't want to say this, but the reason they beat Villa is Villa is just worse. Villa is just shit, you know? Correct. So, like, you know, correct, correct. me if I'm wrong, right? So, we yet to see. Let's see. Maybe, you know, they can turn a corner against these big teams, like against Tottenham, Chelsea. Maybe they'll have some fire to, you know, sort of, you know, come out stronger. But but let's let's see. And uh, so, I think that pretty much wraps up our West Ham segment. Um, let's take a short break and then we'll come back with Brighton in our um, as our last team in the review segment. So, our last team that we want to review in this section is Brighton. Um, and Brighton, I think, have been one of the, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, four or five unbeaten teams so far in the league. And um, what a start they've had so far um, in the league. And I think Brighton are, if I'm not mistaken, either second or third best for uh, goals conceded, like XG conceded. And they've only conceded uh, one goal so far this entire season. And even that, it was not from open play. So they've not conceded from open play yet. So defensively, they've been up there. 
It was against United, was it? The one goal? Yeah, that's the one against United where it sort of bounced off Sanchez. It came down, hit Dalo's leg. Some stupid thing happened and the ball went in. La. You know, it was a very scrappy goal. But besides that, you know, they've been so, so uh, defensively solid. I in, Not just defensively solid, all solid all over the pitch. So if you look at that West Ham game, right, um, more than anything, Brighton, I think they just did the, the simple things right. And it was just West Ham who looked so lethargic, you know. Like, like you said, Raul, they've not up been up to it this season and it was a penalty and um, it was a good goal from uh, Trossard which was good enough to beat West Ham and throughout the entire game you know it looked like Brighton just controlled and it was a very controlled comfortable performance from Brighton and at any time in that game uh, you they weren't threatened at all Brighton were not threatened at all and if you look at how, um, if you look at individual performance for that game, I think Welbeck had a really, really good game. You know, he constantly made those runs and he made it extremely difficult for He's West Ham. He's been fantastic side. this whole season. Yeah, so good, Even right, against actually. United, right? He was really good. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And the thing about Welbeck, right, there's, there's more than just goals to his game, you know. He has so many different facets in his game. Like off the ball movement, he's yeah, just a he smart can hold player. out the ball. He can run. Channels, yeah, he yeah. Can do a like the way and he he's quick, takes you know? the ball down. He's very yeah, surprisingly, quick, right? And you should just see the way he takes balls down. You know, like like weird ass balls, and huh? the way he can touch and just bring it down and hold the defender off so good. And if you look at that penalty that he got against West Ham, right? You can see he's just slowly running and he waits and waits and waits and makes the run so well. Even the defender's caught off guard and, you know, he gets the pen. And even for the pen, he tries to stay on his feet, but he's like, ah, no, 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 I can't. And he drops, gets the penalty. So far, very, very good uh, for Brighton. And if you look at the Leeds game, um, I think the overall game, Leeds came out strong. You know, they tried to to bully um, uh, Brighton, but Brighton, I think, they just kept their composure. And Leeds are not to say a uh, crap this season. Uh. Leeds are actually quite decent this season. So, yeah, like I said... They tried to, you know, they threw in so many tackles, just tried to, you know, rough them up a bit. But Brighton, yeah, they just, they weren't phased and they still created so many chances. Their game finished um, 1-0, but I think they should have easily scored three or four goals, you know. And, and in that game, I think the main man for Brighton was uh, Pascal Gross. And so far, he's been involved in about seven goals for Brighton this season. And he's just wow. in the middle of everything they do. Have you guys seen Pascal Gross play? Like, you know, I'm sure you guys have. Yeah, I mean, over the seasons, I feel it's quite up and down. I mean, he's well known for his like set pieces and dead ball situations. Yeah. But it seems like he's taking it up a notch this year. Yeah, this year, definitely, you know. And in that game, yeah, definitely they deserved all three points. And um, although they were just hanging toward the end because it's a 1-0, right? You're always going to be hanging toward the end. But yeah, they deserve that, that win. And if you look at the tactics, not just that game, I think all their games so far, um, they have sort of mastered that 3-4-2-1 system. This Potter system where he plays this 3-box-3, three three, that's what they call it. So with that 3-box-3, three three, right, you are so, um, it's so balanced when you're defending, it's so balanced in transition, and it's also very balanced in the attack. So that the three box three essentially means three, four, three. So you have your three defenders and in that four, it's a box. So it's Caicedo and McAllister at the base of that box. And then it's either Lalana and Gross up top or it's uh, now Lalana is injured. So it's Gross and um, uh, Trossard up top. And with that four, they're just so good. And any player that comes in to that, that Brighton side knows exactly what they have to do. They know their role. You know, 
the, the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, when I watched that United game, it's not to say United played so shit. United started the game very well. Okay, this was the, the, the beginning of the season, yeah? But then first game, Brighton, right? they are the first game. Brighton, right? They sort of just weathered it. They weathered the storm, you know, they kept their cool. And then they slowly grew into the game. And then when they realized that every opportunity that they got, they made it count and they executed it so well, I think. And that has been the main difference this season. Like they sort of don't get shaken up. I think a lot of this, I mean, Vis, everything you're saying that it comes back to one thing and that's Graham Potter, right? You know? Yeah. The the, the consistency that he showed, the uh, coaching that he showed is is all central to all of this. And I think that's yeah. why it's so important for teams like Brighton or even other teams who are maybe not quite competing for Champions League places. Whenever you hit a rough patch, do you stick or twist with a manager? Yeah, you know? and yeah. credit to Brighton, they've stuck with him because last season there were patches where they weren't doing very well. They couldn't score yep. for for nuts, and yeah. they stuck with him. And this is the, the the fruits of that. I think the other part to it is all these players that we're talking about are not new signings. Yeah, they're players that have been there, like you said, that yeah. know the system, that can yeah. come in and play different roles within the system, and there's no disruption. It wasn't an athletic article, but it was actually like a thread on Twitter, which I've just remembered now, where mm. someone was saying that Brighton are the chameleons of the Premier League in the sense that they so easily can adapt very small tweaks to their tactics to suit mm. whoever they're playing. Playing. And, and, yeah. and, you know, this again, I think all comes back to the consistency of having the same manager, a similar core group of players who know what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well said. And And... I think outside of the top six, la, the traditional top six, I think Brighton are up there as the next best team. Especially when you look at Leicester, West Ham this season. Brighton are miles ahead already, you know, so far this season. Yeah. I know it's still early based, days. La. Yeah, based on the start, la, for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Start, and sure. despite losing Bisuma and also Kukurella, who, yeah. I mean, I don't think he was such a key part of their team. Yeah. Say, but you see, that's I the mean, thing. They were key parts of that, that system, right? But that system is so good that any player that comes in, you know, essentially learns the system and knows how to apply that, you know? And in the end, it doesn't even feel like they've gone missing. And their scouting is very good. Yeah, their scouting is very good. Very, very yeah. good. I just don't know if they can rely on Welbeck the whole season to uh, lead their line and score goals. Yeah, that's the thing. So they sold Neil Mopai, I think that was what, two se- over two seasons ago. Another great ne- move as well. Yeah, and they never got like <laughs> a <laughs> proper replacement for him. You know, I think Brighton fans are crying out for another striker. They just want uh, like a 20-goal striker for their squad. And and let's see if, you know, Brighton get it done or not, considering the resources that they have. But let's look at the upcoming fixtures. Um, if, if you look at it now, they have Fulham away. Uh, and then I think out of these four, I think this is the toughest, Fulham away. Then they have Leicester at home. Bournemouth away then Crystal Palace at home I honestly see them picking up a lot of points here at least maybe 9 points out of out of a possible 12 I think this is where they've struggled before like, is finding the consistency because even in the past the season, two seasons huh? yeah they're very good I mean I'm, last season as well they took points off True. Liverpool uh, they look dangerous against all the top 6 teams it's about continuously doing this across a 38 game season which is no easy task um, so yeah. again, like you said, this stretch looks great. If they come out of it with 9 to 12 points or whatever, you know, they're already That's in third place now. So. Yeah, <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, that, that pretty much wraps up our 
review segment. So we'll catch you after the break in our preview segment where we look at Man United versus Leicester. Oh, sorry, Leicester at home to Man United. So this is our preview segment and we're going to preview only one fixture because I think this is the only notable fixture lah that we deem that's notable, right? So <laughs> it's Leicester at home to Man United. I think from a United point of view, I think always going away to Leicester is never an easy task. And considering the way United have started the season so far, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm confident of you know three points. Um, so even I after really, the Liverpool win, yeah, even after the Liverpool win, you know, even United's last game against sorry Southampton, it, we won one nil, yes, but you know it wasn't as convincing. You know, we still yeah. lack in certain areas, like for example, Marshall's out. I think Ten Hag's best team is if Marshall is in it as well. I think that front three of Marshall, Sancho, Rashford play very well across each other. So I, I really don't know how this game is going to go, but. Based of how Leicester has been doing so far, I think maybe United will just probably win this one, lah. What do you think, Raul? Yeah, I think for United, obviously on one side is really important because, as you said, Liverpool result is good, but a lot of it is building on that. The Southampton game wasn't convincing, if we're being honest. You know, the McTominay handball and things could have easily, you know, it could have been easily a Southampton penalty. I thought Che McA- Adams was had quite a few good chances as well, which again, a deflection here or there. Uh, and United in attack, I didn't think were fantastic. I don't know if you disagree. I think it wasn't free-flowing. Yeah, nothing great, bro. Nothing yeah. great. But then on the other hand, you have Leicester who have been really terrible. So they're, I, I'm pretty sure they're, are they bo- they're bottom of the league, right, at the moment? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> they're so one, the league, yeah, they only have one point, yeah. Yeah, and knowing United, they probably, you know, might lose to the team that's at the bottom of the league, you know. So you never know what you can expect. But but that's teams. the thing, right? Yeah, that's I the think thing. things can yeah. change narrative so quick. Especially with these kind of teams. I think definitely Leicester will have some fire and they're playing at home to United yeah. team. I think they wanna pr- they wanna prove something. Prove so a I point, think it will right? it will exactly. definitely be a a tricky tricky game. Like. And yeah. I mean they've lost three of their games, but it has been close score lines. They've not performed well. Obviously, but yeah, I think this can be a tricky game for United potentially just because of how fired up they might be. Yeah, but like you see, like yeah, that's that's why I'm thinking like they have nothing to lose. Leicester have nothing to lose. Like how United had nothing to lose against Liverpool, you know, especially after losing, right? But if you watch the last game, Leicester against Chelsea, Chelsea were man down. And it was still 0-0, but they still went on to beat Leicester. That's what I mean. I think they are really in a bad place, actually. I don't think it's uh, a few unlucky results. I I think this has been brewing from last season already. I think a lot of fans are already not happy. Mm. So I think it could be a very good opportunity if United can take advantage of it, for sure. Because of this right now. So okay, I think that's a good, good segue to our score predictor. So right now, I think um, all of us are on the same points because we predicted um, United, Liverpool. Uh, we Probably. all were positive that Liverpool going to win that. So we didn't get that right. And then the other especially, one was... Especially this. Yeah, especially me. I was the <laughs> most wrong, like, if you put it that way. <laughs> and then they, I think the uh, sorry Newcastle City fixture as well. We all wanted uh sorry we all expected a City win, although like a small win. With a clean sheet no. as well, yeah. yeah. Clean sheet, yeah. So it was a draw in the end. So right now, all three of us still sitting at zero points. 
So the first fixture that we want to predict is, of course, Leicester versus United. So since I'm the United fan, let me go last. Um, who should I pick? Who wants to go first? Raul Kaiser, either one. I'll go first. Okay. I think saying that just now, I think I'll predict the one-one. Ah, I knew draw. it. Yeah. <laughs> these are the these were the draws that got me uh, yeah. <laughs> the win last yeah, season. Yeah. <laughs> I think s- similar vein, but I think two one to United. I think Leicester really. Let's go. Yeah, really in a bad place. But I for some reason I can't. I I don't know why I feel they won't keep a clean sheet. United. So two one, two one to United, or one two. Okay. Rather. Okay, I predict United win two zero. I think United are going to keep a clean sheet in this game. Pretty positive. Um, <laughs> the next fixture, United versus <laughs> Arsenal you know. at home. Oh my god, this is a huge fixture, guys. Yeah, it's Arsenal, the best team in the league, four out of four wins. <laughs> <laughs> winning the league, guys. Invincibles. Uh, league leaders. <laughs> Invincibles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> El Nani so, in the base. Who went first? Shall I go first this time? Correct. Sure. I think it's going to be three-one to Man United against <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> Wow, wow, oh god damn Yeah damn. Yeah this is a tricky one actually yeah. I don't think Arsenal can pull out a fucking six game winning streak man that is too <laughs> much for this league sick, uh, Yeah so I think I'll go for another draw actually uh, come on Yeah can see it I can see it fun draw fun draw 2-0 Arsenal for me Ooh, three different results. Let's so United go. won't score Zola at home. I don't think so. I think <laughs> okay Arsenal la. are pretty good, man. I think Arsenal. That's yeah. believable. I've not Arsenal been impressed by United, man. even though Liverpool lost to them, which is my fair, fair. behind behind yeah. the. Because that's going to be a different type of game. It's not going to be like how it is against. If yeah, Arsenal play Liverpool yeah. now, they would beat Liverpool, which is which is where Anthony I, yeah. Anthony mm. debut. Yeah, might be an Anthony, Anthony debut. Hat-trick, that's huh? why three one bruh. No la, not Hattrick la. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> Okay, the last fixture Everton at home to Liverpool Merseyside derby So, I went first Uh, Rahul, you go first this time Oh, this is This is like an an annoying fixture, you know You want to predict any injuries or At least no fucking At least no Richard No we have no Richarlison this time to play again. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Somehow this game, we are not no, well, playing. Even at the best of Frankie time. Frankie Frank. A, <laughs> I think I. Oh god. I think I'll go. Oh I th- I'm I'm between two. I think it's either zero zero or one zero. So I'll go with one zero to Liverpool. Wow. But I think they'll drop Kaiser? points against Newcastle. That's my prediction mm. for both the games. Oh. Oh damn. Mm. Extra predictions for the for the people listening. Um, I would think it'll be a tight game, but we'll still be able to win two 0 Two 0 to Liverpool, uh. I think I'm yeah. gonna be safe on this one, lah. Uh. I'm also gonna predict two 0 to Liverpool, uh, against Everton. So that being said, that wraps up episode two. We'll catch you guys on episode three. Let's go. Take care. Bye bye. Sony is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes. <laughs> <laughs>
and wars will multiply. I love football. <laughs>